The first reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 61. I'll be reading uh, from verses 1 through to verse 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness in the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. This is the word of the Lord. And if you could turn with me to the wonderful book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, I'll be reading from verses 14 to verse 20. So that's Mark chapter 1 and starting at verse 14. Let's hear from God's word. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come together. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Lord, we pray that we'd be receptive to your word now as you speak to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Friends, with Easter now just around the corner, you may be wondering why we are looking at the first week of Jesus' ministry rather than his final week. As we hit April, isn't this the time to be focusing in on the events that lead to Calvary? And my answer to this is, although we have done that in the past, this year with all that's going on, war, disease, devastating floods, and now the threat of famine, with all this going on, I thought it would be good for our our souls to reset with Jesus, to reset with him from the very start. But friends, it's not just me who's picked up on this need for a reset. Now, if you've been listening to world news lately, Many of the big movers and shakers have also been talking about the need for a start over as well. A great reset to bring this fractured world back together again. But friends, when the new pick for the Supreme Court in the United States, the highest court in the free world, when she as a woman declares she doesn't know what a female is because she's not a biologist, but when you hear that, Well, it doesn't exactly give you a whole lot of confidence moving forward, does it? The world needs a makeover, is crying out for one. 
But if those who lead us can't get the job done, who can? Well, friends, that very urgent and very pressing question takes us straight to chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, doesn't it? Because in the Scriptures, Mark reports a promise was made, a big, big prophecy that there's one coming, and this one, when he comes... Well, let's just say he will be qualified to get the job done. And we all know when his arrival is imminent because a voice crying out in the desert will prepare his way. And so that voice started calling out, writes Mark, and everyone went out to him, including a man from Nazareth called Jesus. He lined up like everybody else, went into the water like everybody else. But when this Jesus came up out of the water, well, let's hear again what happened next. The heavens were torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice then came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Friends, to put it mildly, this was a big, big moment for the nation of Israel. For no king in their history, not even David, had received this type of ringing endorsement from above. But friends, this isn't just a big moment for the nation of Israel, but all nations. Because God made a promise an ancient promise to Abraham, the very first Israelite. All peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And so with all eyes now on Jesus, this king, he leaves the river. The question being, where do you start if your job is to clean up If your job is to purify, reset the world from cursed to blessed. Well, Mark doesn't leave us guessing, does he? If that's to happen, Jesus needs to confront the one who saw this world cursed in the first place. For this out-of-kilter world that we now live in, this world that we now experience every day, was not created that way. No, friends, creation went from good to bad, the garden to thorns, thanks to a being called Satan. A rebel Jesus will later call the prince of this world. And so Jesus leaves the river to confront him. Because everything else is window dressing if the ruler of the kingdom of the air is left in place. And so the newly appointed Christ heads out to the desert for a one-on-one with him. Out there, the prince promises Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he bows down and worships him. But with that reply, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. With that reply... It's the devil who does the bowing. It's the devil who does the obeying and flees the scene. 
So where to now for Jesus? Back to Mark and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now friends, what's interesting about going through the Gospel of Mark is it reads very much like a highlights package, like a highlights reel, doesn't it? The other Gospels go into much more detail. But Mark's goal is to document for us the key movements, the key moments in Jesus' life and ministry. Knowing this, what we have in verses 14 to 15 is what you might call the core or the heartbeat of Jesus' message. But friends, before we take a closer look at this, Mark wants us to square away something first, doesn't he? And that is John the Baptist has been thrown into the slammer. Herod has clearly had enough of playing second fiddle to this bloke. Now the poles are slipping thanks to that bug-eating prophet out in the desert. It's time for us to hit the mute button. And so Herod sends out his goons to arrest John. But look at that, writes Mark, and don't miss this. As soon as John is taken off the stage... Jesus steps forward. And what does that tell you? Well, just a beautiful little lesson about who is truly in charge here. After John was taken out, did that cause everyone to lose heart and head back home as Herod wanted? No. Jesus, fresh from his wilderness victory, immediately now steps in proclaiming good news, good news for all the people. So what is this good news that trumps the bad news that John has been taken out by the powers that be? Well, it's this, says Jesus. The time has come. The moment John has prepared you for arrived. The kingdom of God is near. Now, friends, we have a bit of an inside scoop as to what Jesus means by that, don't we? Israel's newly appointed Christ has just defeated the devil out in the desert. The snake has just taken his first defeat since he came onto the scene in the garden. One stronger than him is now here. One stronger than him is now near. What does this mean? Well, it means this stronger one has the power to raid Satan's house, to release people from his dominion. Remember God's ancient promise about the whole world being blessed? Well, I'm here to remove the one who saw it cursed and lays claim on your life. Friends, that's the heartbeat of Jesus' good news message here. The kingdom of God is near because Jesus is near. With the ability 
and the power to take people from the old kingdom, the dying, fading, under-judgment kingdom led by the snake, to the new kingdom, the eternal, divine, blessed kingdom led by him. The great reset that the world desperately needs has arrived in Jesus. He has come to bring it in. But this kingdom does not come to people by osmosis. No, if you want in, then you need to respond. A response is required. What is this response? Well, it's right there, isn't it? Two words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now, friends, as these two words are key to who will enter God's kingdom and who will not, as these two words are what we, what we do with and what we, how we respond to them make the difference for us, well, it's worth reflecting on them for a moment or two, isn't it? So let's begin with the word Jesus begins with. Repent. Now this is the moment where I as a preacher could go into a long explanation of what repentance is. And that's okay, we can do that. But I think an even better way to really connect with this word is to think of a time you experienced repentance firsthand in your life. So let me tell you about a time I experienced repentance. 18-year-old Pete had had his licence for about six months and I was off to meet a friend in my car. But this friend lived in an area of Sydney that I'd never been to, never driven to before. Now these days that's not a problem, is it? You simply type where you want to go into your phone and it'll take you straight to the door. But back in the late 80s, sorry, no smartphones at all. So you had to get out the map, you had to get out the Gregory's, didn't you? Now because of certain circumstances, I was running a little late, actually very, very late. So a bit flustered, I pulled off to quickly work out where I needed to go to next. Now thinking, right, I've got it, I pulled back out and started heading towards my destination. The only problem was that in my confusion, lack of experience and rush, I pulled out onto the wrong side of a two-lane highway and started heading down that way completely oblivious. I turned the corner and there before me was a huge set of traffic lights and a massive stack of cars ready to bear down on me within seconds. And friends, that's the moment that I experienced the big R word. In an instant, I responded with just a little bit of smoke coming out of my tyres. I quickly got the job done, back round in the right direction before the lights turned green. Friends, welcome to repentance. I wonder if you have ever had that type of repentance-like experience in your life. 
a moment that if you didn't immediately react and do a 180, then maybe you would not be sitting here this morning. And whenever you think of that moment, you're thankful for the warning, the precious time that you were given to snap to and change course. Well, friends, with that memory fresh in your mind, consider again Jesus' call here. For it is the warning. It is the wake-up call to end all wake-up calls. Because, friends, what's at stake here is not simply your next breath in this life, but your eternal life. Satan's kingdom is going down. Jesus cry, don't go down with it. Repent. Do a 180. Get out of there before it's too late. Okay, but how do I get off this world? A car, a road, I can do. But how do I respond to the divine fireball coming for the entire world? Turn and run, you say, but where do I turn and run to? Well, Jesus gives us the answer with his next word, doesn't he? Repent and believe. Believe the good news. What's the good news? Well, Jesus just told us, didn't he? In him, the kingdom, the new kingdom, God's kingdom is near and available to you. So how do you escape the judgment fireball coming? By turning and not trying to outrun it, but by turning and facing and believing in Jesus. Okay, that's great. But what sort of belief is Jesus talking about here? Belief that he exists, belief in his message, belief like I believe Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister of Australia. What is this belief that Jesus is calling for here? Well, friends, again, we can go into an explanation of what belief is or we can look at an example of it. A real-life moment where we see this belief in action. And that's exactly what Mark now gives us, doesn't he? Back to our verse 16. Have a look. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, friends, this response from these two men is so left field, it is so out there, that Mark now follows it up with another example, but this time with a little bit of extra information. Have a look at it. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So there you go, writes Mark. If you want to check this story out, go talk to Zebedee and his employees 
who still work down there on the lake. So knowing Mark is documenting a true life account of what happened, let's get back to the question concerning what belief in Jesus is. Now these days, many Christian leaders respond to that question by saying, this is what it means. If you believe in Jesus, he will get on board with you and help you with your livelihood and your family relationships. But friends, here we see the precise opposite of that, don't we? To believe in Jesus for these four men here was to immediately leave behind their family and livelihood to follow him. A decision Jesus backs up with these words a little later on. Have a listen. Anyone who loves their father and mother, yea, even their own life more than me, is not worthy of me. Friends, what is Jesus calling for when he says, believe in me? Well, as these four men show, what Jesus is calling for is for his call to be placed above every other call on your life. A reordering of your life such that he is placed above all. Who can believe like that? Who can believe in such a manner? And these four men must have been pretty special, right? So spiritually switched on, a faith so strong that upon hearing his call, they were able to immediately respond just like that. Friends, no, they weren't. As we'll later see, these guys struggled with the very same sin struggles that we struggle with. These were just average, normal, everyday people. Okay, well, as average, normal blokes, maybe they hated their jobs and their their home life maybe was a complete mess. And so they were happy to, to drop everything and follow him. Easy. Well, no, that's not it either because as you follow these men through Mark's gospel, they regularly go back to Galilee to see and stay with family. It was all good at home and at work. So if they weren't super spiritual or super desperate, what caused them to believe in the way that we see right here? Now, what was it about these men? What do we see in these verses that can tell us that we can be more like them? How do we latch on to being somehow like these four? What do these verses tell us? Well, friends, these verses actually tell us nothing about them, but everything about the one who called them. For that voice was no ordinary voice. John, who was one of the four, would later write, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. But friends, as we talked about, what he has made has been spoiled. Satan's lie ruined the good creation. But the time has come to fix that. And so with Satan now on the run, the word made flesh now gets to work, calling out the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. Why did these four men drop everything when they heard this call? Because, friends, Jesus spoke with the same authority and power as he did on day one. Except this day is day one of his new creation work. Friends, these men fell in behind him, not because they had a special belief gene, but because of John chapter 1 verse 4. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. And having that light shine on them and call them. The two most important things in those men's lives immediately took their rightful order, their rightful place before the one who makes life and work, family and friends possible in the first place. Have you met this Jesus? And not the Jesus that promises to make your life better or the Jesus who is a great example to follow or the Jesus who shows you how to be religious. No, I'm talking about the Jesus right here in Mark chapter 1. The Jesus those four men met. The Jesus they dropped everything for because when he spoke... They saw the kingdom they were stuck in, the kingdom they were going down in. But in him, they saw the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he the way in. Have you met the Jesus that they met? The one, the only one who can bring the great reset. New heavens and new earth for those who repent and believe in him. Have you met this Jesus? Heard his call that in him all things are made new. Or are you still stuck and going down in the old? Our Heavenly Father, so many voices, so many voices call on us, appeal to us, tell us this is how we are to order our life, this is our, our order of priority in life. But we know, Lord, that it's all going to end one day and we, we will stand before you. We recognise, Lord, this morning that all good things Family, work, relationships come from you. 
We recognise too, Lord, that this world is fallen and we're part of that. And so, Father, we thank you again that Jesus, the Word made flesh, came and he called out, repent and believe in me, the kingdom of God near in me. Now, Heavenly Father, maybe this morning we've never actually heard that call from Jesus. If that's us this morning, help us to hear that call loud and clear. And Father, if we have heard that call and responded a long time ago, but are a little jaded, a little struggling, a little heading back towards the world and its call, may this be the moment where we, where we hear that call afresh again this morning. Thank you for Jesus' call. Thank you that he calls us from death to life. Help us to respond to him. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.